So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, some of the um, ventures of Paul, and particularly we're going to be looking at the end of his life right now and uh, learning from his eternal perspective. I know many of us, we go through various trials and uh, suffering in our lives. Sometimes sometimes they're long stints, right? We go through these long uh, trials. Um, sometimes they're, life, they're lifelong. Some of us are suffering with uh, ailments or, or whatnot that um, can last a lifetime. Um, sometimes they're shorter. Sometimes they're smaller. Sometimes they're big. Uh, some places it's persecution, you know, uh, maybe the extent that we we experience persecution here uh, isn't as great as other nations where people are being uh, killed and martyred uh, for their faith. Uh, we can still experience uh, rejection, stuff like that. Um, maybe it's phys- uh, physical ailments and, and suffering that we battle with. Um, financial, right? Financial burdens, especially right now. <laughs> we know that with, with the state of the economy, um, we can experience uh, financial burdens. Um, and sometimes our suffering can be such that we, we, we can't really make any sense of it. We don't understand uh, why, what's going on. Uh, I believe that these are crucial times uh, in the lives of, of Christians, uh, in the lives of, of the believer. And so we want to ask the question, what pushes our faith forward in times of trial and hardship? What I've learned from Paul is that it is vital to have an eternal perspective. Been sharing with you guys, uh, I think we got one more sermon left <laughs> that uh, pertains to uh, our trip that we, we took recently. I've been sharing with you some of the different spots. I thought it'd be cool to, to uh, share via sermons since these were actual spots, actual stories in the Bible, right? So we've been We've been going uh, through and, and looking at some of these places that we got to visit. Um, and uh, so we're going to be looking at the end of, of Paul's life and his eternal perspective. And uh, when we got to Rome, we went to Greece, and then we, we ended our trip in, in Rome. And we got to visit some of these places at the end of Paul's life. Actually, the first two pictures are not places <laughs> that we visited um, these are these uh, these are slides that I got from the internet. So these aren't these first two photos are not pictures that I took. That's the uh, Mamertine dungeon. That's where Paul, um, where he was imprisoned at the end of his life before he um, was executed. A dark, cold, um, gloomy dungeon, um, and so that's there uh, in the heart of Rome. Uh, not too far from the Colosseum. We didn't get to go there, though. But we did go, we did go here. Um, this is the area that Paul was uh, said to be uh, beheaded uh, for his faith. Um, this little church, <laughs> everywhere in Rome, anytime there was an important event, they, uh, they built a church around it. <laughs> and this was actually where he was said to be held before he was so he was in the Mamertine dungeon, some people say it, maybe even up to two years. Um, then he was taken out to the outskirts of Rome, into the woods, and uh, he was held in uh, this place where those two, that couple is, is standing there. 
um, in that, that little room they're looking in is his holding place. Not the dungeon, not the jail cell, but just for however long it was when they moved him to the outskirts and he was waiting to be um, executed. That's where, where he was. And then this, this is the pathway they would have led him into the, in the, into the woods to be, um, to be martyred. So that's the, the pathway. You'll see it takes you to uh, that building there. There in the middle, um, right by Daxton, you can see Daxton there on the left. Um, that's uh, original cobblestone from the first century, original pathway. And then into that room, right there, don't ask me why they uh, don't have a plaque, <laughs> unless they were making a plaque for it, but they have a little uh, laminated piece of paper that's typed on there. Um, and it says that that column, now, when you get into some things, and especially as it pertains to the, to the Roman Catholic Church, you hear tradition a lot. And so there's some things that we really don't know, you know, is that really the column that, that Paul, you know, uh, held on to when he was beheaded? Um, that's, what it, that's what it says, that's said to be the column, but we really don't, we really don't know um, for, for certain. Things get passed down. Now this, okay, so that's, that's where he was, he was executed. Um, this is where the, um, the tomb of, of uh, Paul the Apostle is, and they built a huge church around it. Um, pretty cool. Back in 2003, I think, they had, uh, the Pope had some scientists come in and test the, uh, the tomb and the, the remains that were in the tomb, and they dated back to the first century. So uh, scientists do feel confident that this may be the actual remains of, of, of the Apostle Paul. So that's pretty cool. That statue there in the middle of the courtyard is the Apostle Paul, and if you notice, he's holding a sword. When I first saw it, I was like, what the heck? What is this like? Are they trying to say he's like some kind of soldier or, or, or whatever? Why is, why is Paul holding a sword? And somebody asked that on our tour. It was like, why is the Apostle Paul holding a sword? And the tour guide said that's the way he was martyred. And then I look over and you see the Apostle Peter and he's got a, he's got a cross upside down in his, in his hand. So it was the, the apostles would be holding the way that they, they were portrayed in the way that they were executed. Um, and the way they were martyred. So that's the reason in Rome you'll see Paul holding a sword. It's not because they thought he was a, some kind of soldier. It's because that was the way that he was martyred. Um, inside there, you can see the beautiful church. All those churches were just simply amazing. Um, mixed feelings about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm in awe, and at the same time, you're like, wow, look at Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, beautiful church. And then as you go to the back of the church, as you walk down that hallway, um, that is the tomb of uh, St. Paul or the Apostle Paul uh, in that little, um, the glass is part of it, and then inside the little, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, yeah, great. There you go. Thank you, Joseph. All right. So... That's the site of where Paul was beheaded and then where he was finally executed. So that's what we're looking at this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Um, 
We're going to start at verse 12 here in just a little bit. Paul was a Pharisee. You know what a Pharisee is? They were actually a group that probably started off meaning well. Uh, they, were, they were pious. They were, um, pious isn't a bad word. They were reverent, right? And in their attempt to be uh, reverent, they were by the book that over time, uh, they were so by the book that they started making their own books. And they were so by the book that they, they lost the spirit of God's law, right? They lost the spirit of what was behind it. And they became so rigid and so judgmental uh, towards, towards others. Um, Paul was one of those. He was a Pharisee. Uh, they, were the, they were the guys that knew their stuff. A lot of people looked, up, uh, looked to them. Um, and he persecuted Christians. Christians were the enemy. They were this cult uh, that was that was started, and he was out to um, to have them arrested and have them turned over. And some of them that would be turned over would be uh, would be executed. And so he was he thought he was doing the Lord's work, and he was going out. He was persecuting Christians, having them arrested, and he was on his way to Damascus, a town called Damascus, to do just that. When on the way, he encounters Jesus. And Jesus is already ascended into heaven, but he uh, appears to Paul in a bright light. It blinds Paul, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, you can imagine, Paul knows that this is God or an angel of God, right? And so in his bewilderment, he's like, oh, what do you mean, Lord? Who are you? Just who am I persecuting? He says, it's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. In that moment, Paul realizes, oops, I've made a huge mistake. And Paul does a 180. Um, in fact, God says in Acts chapter 9, he says that Paul is his chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He's going to be his missionary, uh, for I'm going to show him how much he must suffer uh, for my sake. Now, I don't believe personally, I don't believe that this is God saying like, hey, Paul, you persecuted Christians, so I'm going to punish you, and now you're going to have to uh, suffer as a result. I think Paul, we know him as the greatest missionary that has ever lived. And when you follow after Christ, persecution is going to come. And when you follow after Christ like Paul did, you are going to suffer for his namesake. And so that's what happened. Paul uh, becomes this great missionary. Um, wrote a lot of the New Testament, um, and he is planting churches all over the Roman uh, Empire. He's going to all these places. In fact, in the book of Acts, we see three missionary journeys that he took, three mission trips that he took. Could have taken more, but that's, that's all we see uh, recorded in the, in the book of Acts. We've been discussing some of the stops on his second and third missionaries journeys. We talked about Corinth, this time in Corinth, this time in Ephesus. Um, and uh, it hasn't been an easy road for, for Paul. Uh, in fact, he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. He said that he, at that point, when he wrote, the, wrote to the Corinthians, he said he had been whipped at least four times. Uh, maybe he was whipped after that even more. I'm sure he's persecuted him more at that time. He had been beaten with rods at least three times. Um, can you imagine? He'd been stoned at least once, not not smoking, stoned. Stoning is they threw rocks at him and attempting to, to kill him or punish him. Um, and so he could have been stoned after that. 
uh, again, but he was stoned at least once. They left him for dead. That's actually recorded in the book of Acts. He got back up and went back into town, and they uh, doctored him up. And once he recovered, he started preaching again. Uh, he had been shipwrecked several times. So I know he's going to be shipwrecked at least once more. Uh, he said that he was in danger from robbers. Remember, this isn't the 21st century, so when you're traveling, it's very dangerous. Um, danger from the Jews who you know, didn't like the Christians. Danger from the Gentiles, the Romans. You had this double threat, this dual threat. No one seemed to like the Christians. Uh, danger from false teachers that would come in behind Paul into these churches and start preaching a different gospel and, and uh, you know, messing up everything that he taught. Um, he said he had many sleepless nights, uh, often without food and in uh, cold weather. Uh, and he said not only that, but just his anxiety for all the churches that he planted and cared for and, and prayed for and ministered to. Um, those were the type of things that Paul, that was, that was Paul's that was the normal Christian life for Paul. That was, that, was his, uh, that was his story. And now Paul is headed to Jerusalem, and he's dead set on going to Jerusalem. He has this money that he's collected from these Gentile churches, and he's taking the money from the Gentile churches, and he's bringing it to the church in Jerusalem to minister to them because they were in need. So he's collected money, and now he's bringing it. That's awesome, seeing the Gentile churches ministering to the Jewish church there in Jerusalem. And so he's dead set on going to Jerusalem. And on his way, the Holy Spirit is warning him of danger. Like, all these people start speaking to him, prophets and prophetess coming out of the woodwork and just saying, hey, Paul, when you go, there's going to be danger. You know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be, you know, one guy takes a leather belt, ties it around his his arms and says, this is what happens to you when you go to uh, Jerusalem. So the Holy Spirit is warning Paul of this danger, but apparently it's not to dissuade Paul from going. It's interesting, Paul's take on this. Everybody else is like, hey, Paul, look, God's speaking. Don't go to Jerusalem. Acts 21, Paul says to his friends, he says, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? He says, or I, am I not ready to be in prison, not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the sake of our Lord Jesus? And so they said, uh, this is Luke who's writing here, the one who wrote the, the gospel of Luke. He says, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, okay, let the will of the Lord be, be done. Man, how do you get that kind of faith? <laughs> Well, we're going to take a look at a couple of Paul's letters that I think will give us some insight into his great faith and his perspective. So Paul is arrested and he's taken to, to Rome. And uh, on the way he's shipwrecked, it's a long, it's a long journey. Uh, God is, is with him and he's placed on house arrest. And so for two years in the year 60 AD, Paul is on house arrest. He can't leave this, this house. And that's his first that's his first imprisonment in Rome, and in that house, he writes uh, the letter to the Philippians. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. Joseph, will you take over on the, on the slide? Thanks. I want you to know, brothers, what is, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So I want you to understand that me being in this, at this, in this prison, in this house arrest, it's really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So all the soldiers and everything, they know why, why I'm here. And that's a good thing. They know why I'm in, imprisoned. And he says, 
beyond this, and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul sees his imprisonment as a, as a, as a good thing. <laughs> he sees the good in his imprisonment. Not that there's not bad in it, right? There's obviously bad in it, but he sees, he sees the good. And I, I can't help but think and, and understanding, I empathize, and, and I've, I've been here too. Also, you know, when things are going bad, you, you know, we want to cry out, why God, you know? And, uh, and y'all have heard me say before too, hey, it's okay in our strife. I think God can, God can take it. Sometimes we have those questions where it's like, God, I don't understand what is going on. I'm not saying Paul never had that, right? But look at his perspective here. My goodness, he says, hey, guys, this is for the good. The gospel is being proclaimed. Praise Jesus, I'm in prison, but good things are happening. My goodness, I mean, if we could just have that perspective, right, and, 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 and see, see that God is still uh, doing good even in our struggles. Tertullian said, uh, he's a Christian father, he said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Isn't that something? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What, is, what, is he, what does he mean by that? Jesus himself said in John 12, 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And in our growth group, last time we had growth group, we were, we were all talking about this, how uh, a seed, it actually has to die, right? And, and shed its, its, its encasing, right, to start bearing fruit and, and growing. Well, Jesus was the beginning of this. He was the first to die, right? And out of that came much fruit. It came, the church was birthed out of that, right? And so Jesus leads the way in his death, and you saw what it, bring, it, it brought life to the world, right, through his death. And then now he calls us to one, die to self, right? And when we do that and we follow after him, we bear much fruit. The Holy Spirit is able to work through us and we bear much fruit. And that fruit, it spreads to other people, right? And the gospel is spread and the, and the church grows. But not only that, but at, at times in, in the church's history, when there has been persecution and hardship. We even see that in the book of Acts. When there's the most persecution, the church begins to flourish. It's crazy. Sometimes it takes trials to get our faith moving. There was this, uh, a recent Oxford University study, and it says that uh, they, they, they studied and they evaluated and they found out that areas where the church received favored status Christianity actually declines. And so that explains, and I'm not saying that we should go and, you know, you know, we should hope for or pray for a totalitarian government or, or whatever, but it explains while Europe and, and the states are in the predicament that, that we are. It's just the way it is, right? I'm not saying let's go back to, <laughs> you know, that we should... We should all like seek out persecution, but that's the way that it is. And I, I want us to think about that, right? Think about in our comforts what it does to our faith. The study shows that the church actually grew in countries that persecuted Christians. 
Places, uh, continents like Asia and Africa have experienced the greatest growth when there's like Islamic opposition and opposition of other, other faiths and there's great persecution and the state is against um, the Christian faith, there is the greatest growth. The study said that harsh persecution doesn't weaken the church, but at times it actually strengthens it. In countries like Afghanistan and Iran, Christians are heavily persecuted, yet the church continues rapid growth. The Christian church in China, despite being under extreme state persecution, surveillance, regulation, is now one of the largest and strongest on the planet, having grown from just, listen to this, 1 million members in 1976 to nearly 100 million Christians today. Paul says in verse second half of verse 18 of our passage, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. See, Paul, he believes that he's going to be delivered from this imprisonment, and he's right. <laughs> He believed that their prayers would come through and he would be delivered. He was delivered uh, from, he spent two years in house arrest and then he was let go. Verse 20, and it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. But if I'm not released, he expected, right? He had a hunch that he would be released. But if not, whether by my life or by my death, Christ is going to be honored. Paul was not afraid of death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Love this statement. It's one of the greatest statements in the New, New Testament. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean when he says to live is Christ? He answers that. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, right? That means if I'm continue living life in this human body, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. See, Paul knew, Paul knew his purpose, right? Paul knew his purpose. He knew that he was a missionary. He was an apostle set apart for God. Now, again, question comes up. Want to be honest with the text? We're looking at the text. We look at, we look at it and say, well, Paul's an apostle. I'm not, you know, I'm not an apostle. And he's going to get to the church here in a little bit. But I still think this statement, to live as Christ has died as gain, applies to all of us. You hear us say week after week, hey, we are missionaries. We don't just support missionaries. We are missionaries. We are the light of the world. We are, we are salt and light in the world, right? We are ministers of the gospel, right? We are the body of Christ, right? For us to live as Christ. Like Christianity is not just another book on our bookshelf. It's not just another category. And, you know, we see maybe your, your Facebook profile says, you know, I think even my, my, my Twitter may say, you know, I'm, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, you know, or lover of Jesus or whatever. But it's not just a category in our lives, right? Our Christian faith isn't. It's the filter that everything else is funneled through, everything. And so I ask you the question, to you is to, li is to live Christ for you. I'm trying to make sure I worded that right. Can you say to live as Christ? Is everything in your life funneled through that? I'm not saying that everybody goes on the mission field. Some of you may be called to the mission field, and I think that's something as believers we need to ask God, right? What does he want for us, right? Because he wants something for all of us, right? 
He wants us all to be salt and light in the world. He wants us all to be ministers of the gospel. But our lives, wherever we're at, right, if the Lord keeps us where we're at in our workplaces, in our communities or whatever, is to you to live as Christ. Paul says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Can you believe this man is torn between life and death? A lot of us, it wouldn't be any competition. <laughs> For which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I mean, my desire is to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So for one, he says to, to, to uh, go, depart, and be with Christ is, is, is far better. So what we see here, you, you guys hear me talk a lot about, like we all, you know, we think that dying, going to heaven is the end, and we stop there, and, and, and I say we need to focus more on the resurrection of the dead, that that's not, that's not the end of all things. We're awaiting a resurrection. We're awaiting a new heavens and a new earth when, when, when God renews all creation, right? I harp on that a lot. I, I mean, I preach that a lot, right? That's part of that eternal perspective. That's our true hope that we're looking forward to, right? But this passage right here, okay, it tells us that when our loved ones die in Jesus Christ, they are with the Lord and they are in paradise, and he says that that is actually, that is far better. Even though we're not in our, in our earthly bodies or our resurrected bodies even yet, it's still far better than the brokenness of this world. That's what Paul's saying. It's far better. So that's pretty cool. You can look forward to heaven, right? So there is an intermediate state. It says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My, my desire is to part and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh, it's more necessary on your account. So that's why he's got a hunch that he's, he's still going gonna to remain in this body, that he's going to be delivered. He's, he, he's got a hunch that there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Man, he had the heart of a pastor. He was an apostle. Paul knew his time wasn't finished. And I just want to encourage you that as long as you have breath in you, you have purpose. You know that? Uh, I found a few weeks ago, I, I reposted it. Like, uh, I took this picture back when my dad was still alive and he was in the nursing home and I was sitting outside with dad and, and there was this uh, older gentleman, obviously it's a nursing home and he's there in a wheelchair and he was talking to another gentleman in the wheelchair and he had this smile on his face. He had his legs crossed and he's telling him about Jesus, <laughs> telling him about the goodness of Jesus. He's sharing the gospel with him. And here was a man, though he had no reason to have joy, he was full of joy and purpose his last breath. That's the perspective that we need to have. And I'm not shaming you. I'm saying that's the perspective I want us to have. Is that a better way to put it? That's the perspective I want for you. That's the perspective I want for me. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you have, you have purpose. You have purpose. And, 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 and we're times of, of, of suffering. Mom, I know you're going through your stuff with your 
your your arm and it's it's driving you it's driving you crazy and it's got you hurting and and so much pain you know and I know your 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 friend who's suffering right now and 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 you being there for her, I know that hurts you and that pains you and to see her in that state but mom Jesus is smiling <laughs> and when he sees you in heaven he's gonna he's gonna look back at Francis and you ministering to her and say well done good and faithful servant I know it was hard I know it caused you pain and sorrow but well done good and faithful servant you have purpose. You have purpose, and these people, that the woman sitting right next to you, they need you and they love you, <laughs> and they need you ministering to them and praying for them and being a friend to them. Y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? Y'all hear what I'm saying? As long as you've got breath, as long as you can move or talk, even these days, if you can't move, you, they got this thing where you can use your eyes and type on a computer and it comes out on the computer. You've got purpose. You can be a light to the people around you. You can exhibit Jesus, and he smiles, and he says, that's the reason I haven't taken you yet. You're still here for a reason. And don't get confused and baffled about your reason. Love God, love people to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's your purpose. No matter how big or small, it's huge in God's eyes. It's huge, right? And here's where we come in even more so, because he starts addressing the church. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Church, you're not the apostle Paul. But then he turns to you and he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is your life worthy? What does that mean? Is your life worthy? Does that mean we have to earn our salvation? Get out, get out of those parameters. Not what I'm talking about. You've been saved by grace. You've been redeemed. You've been made new. You're, you're a new creation. You're a child of God. Live into that. That's living a life worthy of the gospel. Know who you are and live it out. That's who you are. Are you living a spirit-filled life because the spirit of God dwells within you? Luke said last week, he spoke about a life of integrity. That's life in the spirit. That's that's a life of somebody who knows to whom they belong and while they're here and what their purpose is. And when you lose that, just confess it. Get back up on the horse. That's all you got to do. All you got to do is turn around. God is near. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Confess it. Stop wallowing. Confess it. Turn around and God is there. That's the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit church with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Are we in this together? That's the other thing. We're not flying solo. We're in this together. We each go into our own neighborhoods, right, and we're ministering individually in our jobs and stuff, but we're in this together. We are one body of Christ out in the world, and we need each other. That's why I say people say, oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, that's not the point. You're missing the whole point. We're in this together. We need to be together corporately. (laughs) We need to be spending time together. My goodness, I need you guys. Don't you need me? Don't you need the people next to you? If you don't, you're foolish. I'm sorry. We need each other. It's not about whether, you know, going to church, you know, means you get to heaven or not. That's missing the point. Altogether, my Christian life isn't just about going to heaven when I die. My goodness, I'm glad I am, but 
<laughs> that's not that's not all that's wrapped up in it. And get this, and he says, so make sure you're standing in one spirit, striving side by side for the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Uh, some ways that's hard for us to relate, right? Because we don't experience persecution, not trying to shame us for not experiencing persecution like the rest of the world, but it's just the fact we don't experience. You know, sometimes we read these things about Paul, and sometimes it's hard for me as a preacher like, I'm, I'm reading about these heavy persecution that they're going through, and Paul's saying, hold on, right? And it's hard for me to relate because I'm not being whipped and stoned, right? And so I'm realizing and telling God, I'm like, God, how am I supposed to preach? It's like, I, I can't relate. Just being honest, I can't relate. These things haven't happened to me. And so some ways it's hard to relate. But again, I still think there's a word for us. We're going to get to that. One of the things I want to point out, though, not being frightened in anything by your opponents, what it doesn't mean. I want to talk about that for a moment. It doesn't mean forcing opposition and persecution. Because I, I believe we do do that in America. Being bullish with our gospel. So that we're annoying and people hate us and then we call it persecution. I read this article uh, this week. It was this uh, man who observed uh, concert goers who were encountering a turn-and-burn preacher when they were coming out of the concert. He said, a few in the crowd poked fun and tried to fluster the preachers. I've been in environments where there's, y'all ever been in an environment where the guy's standing? You know, I'm not saying all of them are bad, you know, not all of them are bad, but you're, I don't know if you ever encountered the hellfire brimstone turn-and-burn preachers, you know, they're walking out and, you know, there's some people who are going to be arguing with them, you know, going face-to-face with them. A few in the crowd poked fun tried to fluster the preachers. He says, what really caught my attention, though, what overruled my fatigue was another response. Despite this generation's reputation as cynical and sarcastic, so many of the young wore visible sadness on their faces. I believe, you know, again, I've been in, in, in situations where I've been ministering, and also there's been some of these turn or burn uh, preachers, and there, there's there, there's young people there it's been like in a party scene or whatever. And uh, there's some that are just arguing with them, cussing at them or whatever. There's others, you can see the conviction because maybe they're Christians uh, who, who aren't living for the Lord. Maybe maybe they grew up in church. They've been in that environment. You know, they know of Jesus. They know that they're not living right or whatever, you know. And, and so for them, there's this conviction, but they're also like, they know that that's not right, right? They know they're not doing right, but they know that that's not right. And some pleaded with the bullhorn man, for a different portrayal of Jesus. A few people asked Bible man if his God had any love for them. One young man was on the edge of tears as he tried to convince the men to lower their voices, to show kindness in their words about Jesus. I saw this uh, other uh, video, this TikTok video, where this uh, street preacher comes on this bus, bus through the doors on this subway, and uh, he starts... Um, he starts just laying in to the people in the room. I mean, there is a time. Now, again, what I'm not saying is that we don't ever talk about God's judgment, right? But uh, there's a context. There's a way to deliver the gospel and a, a time to get that, right? And so he goes through and he starts telling them about how they're going to go to, you know, how they're going to go to hell and all these sins are going to, they're going to uh, send them there. And then when they're telling them to get lost and nobody, hey, nobody wants to hear this, please leave. One guy's just pleading, please just go, please stop. Why don't you be respectful to us and please just stop? And he refuses to. 
you know, he, he labels his video that they were manifesting demons. No, they were just annoyed. And they certainly weren't turned on to your Jesus. Again, I'm not talking about not speaking about judgment. Paul talked about judgment. Paul was persecuted. Paul was yelled at. But go back and read those passages and read the context. He didn't just march up and just start laying into people and telling them how horrible they were. <laughs> and sometimes, yes, he got to the point of, of judgment, and then they started, you know, a lot of times it was because they were Jews and they were self-righteous, and they were like, ah, not us. What are you talking about? What Paul is not talking about when he says, don't be afraid of your opponents, is about creating enemies and opponents and then not fearing them. But on the other hand, Jesus says, John 15, he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, he's talking to his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. He's the master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so on the other hand, the only way that we are not going to be rejected in life, and you're talking to somebody who hates rejection, <laughs> I like people to like me, the only way we are not going to be rejected in life is to be ashamed of Jesus, to be silent about Jesus, or to be compromised, like kind of like Luke was saying, being one way in the church and another way out in the world so that people will always like us. Don't be the, you know, the bullhorn guy. I'm not saying all bullhorn preachers are bad. Some of them just use it to project their voice. Don't be that guy, but don't be silent. And, 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 and when you share the gospel, right, and this is one thing that I've had to learn is like every time somebody rejects you does not mean you're doing something wrong. Or if you hear a friend that is sharing the gospel and people are against them, it doesn't automatically mean they're bullhorn horn guy. Jesus was rejected. Paul was, I mean, my goodness, we saw Paul holding a sword because his head was cut off. Jesus says, when you follow me, there's going to be some form of persecution, whether it's rejection or whether it's martyrdom. So he says, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. Verse 28, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. How's it a clear sign of their destruction and of the Philippian salvation that the Philippian Christians, they were, they're not moved. They're not moved. They're persecuted. They're not moved. They can't be broken. They can kill the body, but they can't destroy the soul, right? When they're, when they're, when they're trying to get them to break, but they won't break, they refuse to worship their gods. They refuse to bow the, 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 the knee to Nero or whoever the emperor is at the time. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Granted to them that they should suffer. I believe this has a, a unique context in a sense because like the Philippian church literally <laughs> was going through a persecution that we don't undergo, Right? These churches, these first century churches, they were, they were enduring hard persecution. And so he's, he's saying like, hey, 
guys, that's the context you live in, and you're, you're going to suffer. But again, I, I do think there's something that we can take, uh, we can take from it. We do experience rejection. We, we experience spiritual warfare. The enemy is against us. There's a spiritual enemy against us. He hates the gospel. He doesn't want it to go forward. <laughs> he doesn't want people to know Jesus. He doesn't want people to be set free. Someone once asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? He said, why not? They're the ones who can take it. That's, that's who I want to be. Right? Why, why are they the ones that can take it? Why are the righteous the ones that can take it? Because they have an eternal perspective. They know to whom they belong. We have hope. Hope is faith looking forward. We're going to pick up next week because I've got a whole second Timothy. I keep you all here for another hour <laughs> to go through. So we're going to pick up in that. But I just, I just want to encourage you guys. Our, our, our eternal perspective is, is everything, right? When we, when we endure when we endure pain and hardship and, and, and suffering, our faith is at a crossroads. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I can tell you about when you come to those crossroads. Satan intends to destroy your faith through that suffering. He wants you to curse God. <laughs> That's what he wanted for Job, right? He wanted him to curse God and say that he's not good and be done with him. Through that same suffering, God intends to purify our faith. Again, I'm not saying every time you go through suffering, that's God saying, I intentionally did this to you. Read, read through, through Acts, and, and God says that, yes, all that came together as part of his plan in the cross. But when the, when the disciples, when the apostles talk about the cross, it was something that man did to Jesus. You follow me? They're saying man did to Jesus. Now, he does say at a point, again, God uh, ordained all these things to happen. Jesus was going to go to the cross. He was going to die for our sins, right? But it says that man did that to Jesus. And then Jesus used it for his glory and for our ultimate good. That's the way we look at suffering and hardship, right? And I know it's hard in the moment. Again, I, I believe it's okay. It's got two and two to ask why God, you know, when we're confused. But, but suffering happens to us, and then God says, I, you'll trust me, I can use it. I'll use it. I'll strengthen your faith. Look to me, right? And, you, and, you, and when you look at the end of the line, I remember Francis Chan one time, he had this rope. Um, great illustration. I wish I had the rope. <laughs> he had a rope, and at the end of the rope was this little, little red portion of the rope. And then the, the rest of the rope went way down like to where that giving box is over there, right? And he said, this is this life, this red portion. That's this life we're living now. The rest is eternity. That's an eternal perspective. That's an eternal perspective. That's what keeps these Christians, these, these, these that go to the grave glorifying God instead of cursing him. That's what keeps them going. They know that there's more to this life. They know that eternity awaits Right? They know who they are. They know who they belong. They know where they're going. Do you know that? 
Do you hold on to that? This isn't the end, guys. This isn't the end. You're going to wake up on the other side and you're going to have eternity. You're going to have eternity. So keep moving in your faith. Keep going. Keep enduring, right? The pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the persecution, the, 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 the sickness, whatever it is, keep enduring. And keep faith looks forward. That's hope. Keep looking forward. Keep looking forward. That's what keeps me going, right? That's what charges my batteries for another day so that I can keep going and keep doing the Lord's work and keep carrying on being salt and light in the world. The crossroads in our faith. God wants you to trust that he will rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's what Paul said at the end of his life. 